0: Welcome to Dig the History Podcast.
1: In Dan Brown's Angels and Demons, the protagonist, the art historian Robert Langdon, is called on to investigate a secret society called the Illuminati, allegedly responsible for planting an antimatter bomb in the Vatican and, in keeping with the modus operandi of the elusive Illuminati, trying to bring down the Catholic Church. Like all of the Robert Langdon series, Brown dives deep into various occult and religious symbology, while selecting the more interesting threads of art, science, and Christianity histories. In the opening scenes of the book, and in its film Adaptation, The European Organization for Nuclear Research, or CERN's director, finds one of its key researchers dead with an ambigram of Illuminati branded on his chest. An ambigram is a word or phrase that is illustrated so that it reads as itself if you're holding it right side up or upside down. It appears that whoever killed the scientist and branded him stole some antimatter, which, without its special containment field, will come in contact with the matter of the canister and unleash a nuclear-level explosion in 24 hours. It is somewhere in Vatican City, and only Langdon, the world's foremost scholar on the Illuminati, with his superior ability to decode the mysteries and riddles of the Illuminati, can save the day. <laughs>
0: While completely ridiculous and reliant on the most obscure and fantastical of conspiracy theories, the Langdon books have a lot of wonderful things going on for them. For one, of course, the hero is a historian. And yes, we are all heroes. And don't you f***ing forget it. That's right. For another, Langdon is firm about one thing that this plot cannot be Illuminati-driven because, one, the true Illuminati was disbanded in the 18th century, which is true. And two, the 18th century Illuminati wouldn't kill a scientist because they were themselves scientists committed to reason and inquiry, Mm. which is partially true. Mm. Spoiler alert, the true perpetrator of the entire thing is revealed to be the Carmelango, who works for the Pope. So when the Illuminati plot turns out to be a cover story orchestrated by a sanctimonious priest who is trying to remake the church in his own narrow vision of Catholicism, Dan Brown gets at the heart of all Illuminati conspiracy theories. They are smoke and mirrors, myths and whispers used by mostly, and we'll discuss how and why today, conservative leaders to mislead, frazzle, and or rile up the public. But it's also a scapegoat. A global conspiracy or a secret cabal like the Illuminati is a seductive, exciting, and simple answer to complicated moments. So today's episode is about the history of the organization known as the Bavarian Illuminati and their imagined role in the French Revolution. This is a story about enlightenment, feminism, absolute monarchism, conspiracy theories, and weirdo boys clubs who dream of a better world. The full package. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of everything. I'm April Earls. And I am Boba Fett. No, actually, I am Sarah Hanley-Cousins. And we're your historians for this episode of DIG. <laughs> dig in, winky face, I want to thank Alex Yarbrough, friend of the show and historian of early modern France who answered my text about any reading wrecks for the connections between the Illuminati and French Revolution with a spectacular and very long email about the persecution of Jesuits, the French absolute monarchy, Freemasons, and conspiracy theories in and around the French Revolution because there's apparently not much by way of English language sources on these topics. There is a good amount in French and German, but alas, those are a bit beyond my language capabilities. And someone would definitely chime in and yell at us about our pronunciation. Absolutely. So. so a lot of the stuff for today, especially about the Freemasons and the Jesuits, is actually adapted from his email. So thank you, Alex, for your help. And to the English language sources that do exist. Um, some of this is really, really, really old. Uh, The most recent monographical scholarly work on the Illuminati that I could find is from the 1970s, 1972, and before that is a book from 1918. (laughs) Even the more recent articles I read, like Michael Taylor's work on 18th century British conservatives, Illuminati conspiracies, reference the 1972 and 1918 texts as the key ones for the field. So I don't think this is just a limit of our library. Conversely, there is a ton on the Freemasons. I included a bunch of the ones I looked at while writing this episode in the bibliography, which you can find at digpodcast.org. When and where I could find English translations of primary source texts, I consulted those. Um, With an episode like this, there is a lot on the web, but not a ton of scholarly English language sources. So when I consulted National Geographic or BBC or NPR stories, I tried to find what they were referencing in their scholarly texts, where they were getting their information from, and then tried to cross-reference that where possible with primary sources as well. Um, Regrettably, even those more reputable sources like Nat Geo and BBC and and, and NPR, they don't footnote or list bibliographies. Which Which is is, a big pet peeve of historians. Huge pet peeve, um, which is and really is a problem that I think uh, gets to the the core of conspiracy theories mm-hmm. more generally in our digital age right we can't just take every facebook story or google search or cokie roberts interview at face <laughs> value right we
1: right. all need to dig deeper absolutely We also want to start by thanking all of our Patreon supporters. We are over halfway to our goal of $300 a month. When we hit that, we're going to be getting new recording equipment, and we are so excited about it. So thank you to all of you generous souls who are already giving, and particularly to our auger and excavator-level patrons. A very special thank you to our newest excavator-level patron, Danielle. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Your generosity will go down in history. Listen, uh, if you're not already a patron, you can be by going to patreon.com digpodcast to learn more.
0: When a way of thinking or believing or living is considered so untraditional or dangerous that it is prohibited through legal or social sanctions, the people who want to think or believe or live that way do so in secret. Secret societies were really common in in Enlightenment era Europe. Um, according to John Roberts, a historian of the mythology surrounding secret groups in Europe, in sheer numbers, there have probably never been so many secret sects and societies in Europe as between 1750 and 1789. Between absolute monarchies, religious persecution emanating from both states and churches, and expanding imperial borders challenging and redefining national and regional identity, the people of Europe had a lot to be frustrated with and to think about. In this period, which was also the height of the circulation of Enlightenment philosophies, there arose Rosicrucianism, Martinism, and, of course, the Freemasons, who'd been around a bit longer, but who started to really spread on the continent in the 18th century.
1: The Freemasons and the Illuminati are regularly discussed in conjunction because the founder of the Illuminati movement sort of incorporated under the Freemason organization. Today, the Freemasons are a global fraternal order, one that I'll be talking about a lot in my episode. They're still mostly men-only orders, and their designation as a secret society is much diminished since the early 19th century. Now they're as much a regular civic organization as the Moose or the Elks clubs. The Freemasons were, more than anything, an elite intellectual gentleman's club with rituals and rules intended to foster community and in-group loyalty. The Freemasons trace their roots back to the medieval English and Scottish stonemasons who built the great cathedrals of the UK. They direct lodges on building sites and those lodges eventually became significant meeting places for the men of the stonecutter guilds. They were dedicated to supporting members' various businesses and political interests in masonry and beyond.
0: Much has been made of the Freemasons' role in the founding of the United States because thirteen of thirty nine signers of the Constitution were members of Freemason lodges. <laughs> As Andrew Burt notes, the Masonic lodges of the nineteenth century, even you know, they attempted regularly to influence uh, American po- politics. Um, but pump the brakes here, conspiracy theorists. 28 of those signers were Episcopalian or Anglican, and nobody's going around saying that the Anglican bishops or whatever orchestrated the American independence (laughs) movement.
1: Now are they? Right. (laughs) Because they were exclusive, secretive, had, and also sought out members in high places, Freemasons were not always welcomed with open arms in places where they set up their little boys clubs. Masonic uh, Masonic lodges spread throughout the world on the ships and settlers of the British Army, but also popped up on the European continent, much to king's and queen's displeasure. But the Freemasons were actually part of a larger movement in European Enlightenment, sociability, and intellectualism. Philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Voltaire, Mary Wollstonecraft, Godwin, John Locke, Montesquieu, Kant, etc., 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 were discussed ad nauseum in the new social spaces of 18th century Europe. We had, of course, the salons and coffee houses of the British Isles and the continent, which were regular meetings where people ate, drank, played cards, flirted, and also talked about Enlightenment ideas. Masonic lodges served much the same intellectual purpose, where advanced ideas circulated among men of power and influence, particularly in the more elite lodges. And along with ideas, Masons built community through complex rituals and by supporting each other in their business ventures and political endeavors. These secret societies had some highfalutin
0: members on their secret lists, including, for example, the French King Louis XVI's brother. In France, Masonic lodges were most popular um, and had their sort of peak moment in the 1750s. Like a lot of elites, noble or not, they embraced liberal ideas, deism, claims of equality, and opposed the old regime society of orders. Uh, But in practice, they were not usually actually very radical. They just thought radical thoughts, but didn't want to do anything radical. This was mostly talk. Freemasons enjoyed the conversation and the debate, but rarely was a lodge actually vested in any kind of reform or a revolution.
1: When the revolution spread across France in 1789, starting in Paris, Masonic lodges were already in decline. During the revolution, most Masons stayed out of the action. Some were actually prominent counter-revolutionaries, like Joseph de Maistre, a Savoyard who regarded monarchy as both a divinely sanctioned institution and as the only stable form of government. One lodge, however, the Nine Sisters Lodge, furnished many major revolutionaries. The Nine Sisters was founded in Paris in 1776, primarily to support the American Revolution. Voltaire, Benjamin Franklin, Jean-Nicolas de Meunier, who was elected May 16, 1789 by the Third Estate of the City of Paris to the Estates General, and many supporters of the French Revolution were members of the Nine Sisters Lodge, which was a patron of arts and sciences and deeply invested in philosophical discourse. When contemporary conspiracy theorists wrote about the Masons or the Illuminati as being the originators of the French Revolution, they probably had these folks in mind. In reality,
0: while significant actors in the Revolution were Masons, Freemasons, as a sort of larger organization were not the only social groups discussing the social contract theory or debating the pros and cons of enlightened versus absolute monarchy. As Sarah said, lodges were just like any of the other public intellectual spaces, like coffee houses and salons, that were extremely popular in Paris, in London, in New York, in Amsterdam, etc. Most revolutionaries were not
1: Freemasons, or for that matter, Illuminati. The Bavarian Illuminati, which is the group that most people think that they are talking about when they talk about the Illuminati today, were, like the Freemasons, a secret society of intellectuals. They were founded by Adam Weishaupt. Weishaupt was born in Ingolstadt, Bavaria, which is now part of Germany, orphaned at a young age, educated at Jesuit schools and then the Jesuit-controlled University of Ingolstadt, from which he got a juris doctorate. Some sources say he was a priest himself, others that he was only a practicing Catholic who followed Jesuit doctrines, though he did break with the Jesuits even before Pope Clement XIV dissolved the order in 1773, which was also when Weishaupt started as a professor of ecclesiastical law at the University of Ingolstadt. Though formally dissolved, the university remained in the control of Jesuits, who were quite distrustful of non-clerical faculty members attempting to censor and undermine faculty who taught anything considered liberal or Protestant. By 1784, Weishaupt was the only member of his department who wasn't also a Jesuit priest, or at least a formal
0: Jesuit. Jesu- I mean, former Jesuit priest, because the Jesuits had been formally,
1: technically, dissolved. technically
0: dissolved, but they still followed the. Yeah. precepts of jesuitism yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and they're sort of protected in bavaria they're allowed to run wild um, notably the jesuits were a pretty controversial order in 18th century europe there was anti-jesuit sentiment on all sides the other catholics were frustrated with what appeared to be jesuits hoarding of vast wealth with no clear material service delivered to their communities in proportion to their wealth And then in places where reformist ideas about absolute monarchy were flourishing, the Jesuits were the religious mirror of absolute monarchy. In France, provincial judges were attempting to gain a foothold in the legislative process. The Jesuits' absolutist way of behaving made them targets for French parliaments, which are these provincial judges. The Jesuits didn't report to bishops, but directly to Rome. So there was no intermediary bodies to regulate them. So just like the absolute monarch had no intermediary uh, body to to regulate him. And they cultivated ties with power, making sure to always supply the priest who served as the king's confessor. So the Jesuits have a lot of sway in France, and that really frustrated these provincial judges. Because the way their order operated mirrored the absolute monarchy, Jesuits were an ideal target for the frustrated judges of the parliaments. The hatred that they felt for absolutist government officials, they directed against the Jesuits instead. So Jesuits were expelled from France in 1763. They experienced less formal resistance in Bavaria, as obviated by their firm control of the University of Ingolstadt, which owned hundreds of farms and estates worth three million florins in 1727. In Weishaupt's time, then the
1: Jesuits were comfortable in Bavaria. After his parents died, Weishaupt was raised by his uncle, who bought bound editions of who bought bound editions of all the latest French philosophers' writings for his library. Weishaupt was an avid reader. It was through these texts that he developed his liberal, anti-clerical, anti-monarchical ideas. He was increasingly drawn to deism and believed in a society driven by science and reason rather than religion. But such thoughts were at odds with the strict and narrow worldview of the Jesuits. He was censored by his university and forced to indulge his intellectual pursuits in secret. Like the coffee house and salon patrons of Paris and London, though,
0: Weishaupt wanted a community where he could discuss these philosophical tracts. According to Vernon Stauffer, who wrote his History of the Illuminati in 1918, Weishaupt could not afford to join the Freemasons, um, who really only allowed members of good reputation and considerable wealth. So on May 1st, 1776, he started a reading group, which he dubbed the Order of the Illuminati. At that first meeting, there were just five students drawn from his past and current students at the university, and they had to meet in secret as Weishaupt had created quite a few Jesuit enemies at his workplace. (laughs) Their goals were to oppose superstition, obscurantism, religious influence in public life, and abuses of state power. The order of the day, they wrote in their general statutes, is to put an end to the machinations of the purveyors of injustice to control them without dominating them. That would have been, admittedly, a terrifying thought to the purveyors of injustice. <laughs> Weishaupt was the teacher, as he had been in his day job for this, this little group, and he had students read the latest tracts from French philosophers, journal about what they read, and then discuss it in class.
1: <laughs> Some good pedagogy. He's a man after our
0: own hearts.
1: Weishaupt invented three levels of membership, as there were in other secret societies of the day, including the Freemasons, Novice, Minerval, and Illuminated Minerval. Minerva, Roman goddess of wisdom, or Minerva, as my Latin teacher would be yelling at me to pronounce it, uh, was the symbol of their organization. They used her owl on their seal and imagined her wisdom their enlightened goal. Notably, in that first year, Weishaupt forbade the recruiting of women, Jews, pagans, monks, and members of other secret organizations. He also preferred the enrollment of men who were between the ages of 18 and 30. Though Weishaupt's members recruited others, their numbers remained small through early 1780.
0: Sounds very... He had a very
1: particular mm-hmm. kind of person that he enjoyed spending time with. One would
0: imagine that he thought of himself as like a classical like ancient Greek teacher. Uh, with a cult. Teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
1: and um like an old-fashioned cult i mean yeah Mm -hmm. and
0: like sex maybe
1: so like a modern cult too (laughs) yeah all those
0: things (laughs) and not sex with women obviously they were they were banned in these early years um so stauffer assembled from y shop's writings descriptions of these three grades of membership which i will recount for you now um because they're quite rambling and entertaining um To the grade of novice, youths of promise were to be admitted, particularly those who were rich, eager to learn— Virtuous and docile, though firm and persevering. Oh
1: my.
0: <laughs> the ceremony of initiation through which the novice passed into the grade Minerval was expected to disabuse the mind of the candidate of any lingering suspicion that the order had as its supreme object the subjugation of the rich and powerful or the overthrow of civil and ecclesiastical government. It also pledged the candidate to be useful to humanity, to maintain a silence eternal a fidelity inviolable and an obedience implicit with respect to all the superiors and rules of the order and to sacrifice all personal interests to those of the society Admitted to the rank of Minerval, the candidate received into his hands the printed statutes of the order wherein he learned that in addition to the duties he had performed as novice, his obligations had been extended with special reference to his studies. In the assemblies of this grade, the Minerval for the first time came into contact with the members of the order. In other words, his life within the society actually began. To the grade illuminated Minerval were admitted those Minervals who, in the judgment of their superiors, were worthy of advancement. The members of this grade came together once a month by themselves to hear reports concerning their disciples, to discuss methods of accomplishing the best results in their work of direction, and to solicit each other's counsel in difficult and embarrassing cases. Oh my. Yeah. This was the vision of Weishaupt, who was clearly no revolutionary. Instead, he spent his time shepherding passionate young men who probably joined the Illuminati thinking they'd overthrow something. He shepherded them into philosophical debates. Womp, womp. (laughs) Though his focus in the secret society was education, it also maintained a hefty dose of anti-clericalism, but not anti-Christianity. Instead, groups like the Illuminati took the pure religion of Jesus and declared it, devoid of its institutional affiliations, a religion of reason. Mm. As noted by Stauffer, to love God and one's neighbor was to follow in the way of redemption, which Jesus of Nazareth, the Grand Master... Of the Illuminati, mm-hmm. marked out as constituting the sole road
1: which leads to liberty. Sounds very much up the, I mean, very much up the alley of what the Founding Fathers are thinking, because right. it's deism, right? right. They, they yeah. were all into deism as well. In late 1780, Weishaupt recruited Baron Adolf Freiherr Nig, a nobleman, writer, and Freemason from Lower Saxony, to join the Illuminati. Neig took to the Illuminati mission, seeing it as a much-needed update to the medieval Freemason ideology. He was particularly well-connected, wealthy, with a genius for organization. Weishaupt and the original members turned the growth and defining of the Order of the Illuminati over to Nieg, who orchestrated an alliance between the Freemasons and the Illuminati, including Nieg getting the Bavarian Freemasons to allow the Illuminati group to open a lodge of their own, which they named after Charles Theodore, ruler of Bavaria, in hopes of currying favor. Neig gave all the members secret names tied to ancient Greek and Roman myths and histories. Weishaupt was Spartacus. Neig was Philo. Then, Neig revamped the membership levels to incorporate Masonic ideology and expanded the numbers considerably. Within a few months of Neig's leadership, the order had 300 members, including students, merchants, doctors, pharmacists, lawyers, judges, professors in gymnasia and universities, Preceptors, civil officers, pastors, priests, uh, and people from Bavaria to Franconia, Westphalia, Upper and Lower Saxony, and even outside Germany in Austria and Switzerland. Only in France, writes John Roberts, did the Illuminati meet with no success. The Grand Orient was wary of the mysterious new order, as it had been of the strict observance. And if, as was later alleged, an attempt was made to penetrate it, it certainly failed. According to Roberts' uh, estimation in 1972, at its peak in 1784, the Illuminati had only 685 members, though Stauffer estimates that they had between 2,000 to 3,000 members. Bizarrely, both historians relied on the writings of René Laforestier, including a book called The Illuminati of Bavaria and the Freemasons, which was published in 1915. So we'll say that, according to Forestier, they had between 685 and 3,000 members in 1784. That's not too bad of an estimate, I guess. <laughs> not too broad. I
0: mean, there are it could, could be, be wider-ranging <laughs> estimates in, like, the famine deaths in right. Stalin's era, so... <laughs> According to Stauffer, the new ranks of the Illuminati were three classes. The first included the grades of Novus Minerval and Illuminatus Minor. The second class included the core grades of Masonry, so Apprentice, Fellow, and Master, plus Illuminatus Major, and Scottish Knight. And then a third class was of Higher Mysteries, with Lesser Mysteries, Priest and Prince, and Greater Mysteries, Magus and King. Basically, Nigg made a lot more rigmarole for members to aspire to in their Illuminati membership. Um, To me, this sounds like the levels of Scientology where secrets of the organization are revealed the higher you climb, which also depends on your wealth and influence
1: status and how much money you give them. And not to interrupt you, but I thought the exact same thing when I was working on my episode. I kept thinking to myself oh my God, this is exactly like Scientology. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm.
0: mm -hmm. So this system also allowed uh, existing members of the Masons to bypass the intro stages of the Illuminati and start at higher levels in the organization, which fit in with the wealth and influence system because Freemasons, by design, had to already have wealth and influence to join the Freemasons in the first place.
1: But Weishaupt, it turned out, was not actually content to let Nig have complete control over the Illuminati. Nigg had always been attracted to the occult and ritualistic opportunities afforded by a secret society, whereas Weishaupt reveled in the rationalism and fraternity. Weishaupt, according to Stauffer, had a pretty high opinion of himself. He was made dean of faculty at the University of Ingolstadt at a very young, very young 27 and generally advanced rapidly in his career, which may have made him a little big for his britches. Certainly his Jesuit colleagues, who regularly tried to railroad him and ruin his career, thought as much. But as soon as the order started to grow, Weishaupt wanted that power back. He and Nig would get into terrible fights, particularly over the grade of priest in the Lesser Mysteries. Weishaupt believed that Nig had injected into the ritual of the order expressions of radical religious sentiment, which, if once discovered to the public, would be found extremely injurious to the order. But as Stauffer notes, this was only one of many bones of contention between them. At bottom, the two men were inordinately jealous, both as to their positions within the order and the systems of the order which they had worked out. But the focus on the grade of membership is telling. In a lot of ways, the order was overfocused in the rituals, on the elaborate membership initiations and the levels of ascension to the detriment of the actual goal of the order, the discussion and promotion of Enlightenment philosophy.
0: None of that would matter, though, because in 1784, the Bavarian Illuminati were discovered. Uh, Joseph Utschneider, an ex-member of the Illuminati, who was apparently quite disgruntled after parting ways, wrote a letter detailing the subversive activity of the Illuminati to the Grand Duchess of Bavaria, wife of Charles Theodore, the Bavarian ruler. Naming their first lodge after Theodore evidently had little effect. The duke, uh, heavily influenced by the Catholic Church, issued an edict on June 22nd, 1784 against all communities, societies, and brotherhoods in Bavaria, which had been established, quote, without due authorization and confirmation of the sovereign. At first, Weishaupt thought the Illuminati exempt from this edict, since they were under the Freemason umbrella. But a year later, Theodore issued a second edict, this time outlawing the Bavarian Illuminati specifically.
1: They were banned. Weishaupt, his anti-Jesuit and anti monarchical for that matter, club, was discovered. He was fired from his job, uh, and although he was offered a pension, he had to flee his home city. He reportedly turned down the pension and received asylum, undoubtedly through his Illuminati contacts. With Ernst II, the Duke of Saxe-Gotha-Altenburg. He managed to land a new gig as a professor at the University of Göttingen, where he remained until his death in 1830. Must be nice to just be able to find a new professor, waiting TT job wherever you go. Wherever you go, yep. No problem. in his exile that is the
0: illuminati oh so we have to join so we can just get jobs um in his exile he wrote prolifically ramblingly about the illuminati at least four books that we know of Um, just as a taste he wrote in 1787 whoever does not close his ear to the lamentations of the miserable nor his heart to gentle pity whoever is the friend and brother of the unfortunate whoever has a heart capable of love and friendship whoever is steadfast in adversity unwearied in the carrying out of whatever has once been engaged in undaunted in the overcoming of difficulties who does not mock and despise the weak whose soul is susceptible of conceiving great designs desirous of rising superior to all base motives and of distinguishing himself by deeds of benevolence whoever shall One's idleness, whoever considers no knowledge as unessential which he may have the opportunity of acquiring regarding the knowledge of mankind as his chief study. Whoever, when truth and virtue are in question, despising the approbation of the multitude, is sufficiently courageous to follow the dictates of his own heart. Such a one is a proper candidate. Jesus. <laughs> also, <laughs> the tenor of my life has been the opposite of everything that is vile, and no man can lay any such thing
1: to my charge. Okay. <clears throat> The Order, though, lost its base of operation. Even if it hadn't been discovered and disbanded, the tension between Nig and Weishaupt was untenable. Though Weishaupt described his vision for the world in his various publications, he was ultimately just another voice in a cacophony of Enlightenment-era philosophers.
0: Though many groups have since pretended to descend directly from the original Bavarian Illuminati, there is no evidence to support those claims. But since they were discovered and disbanded, a great many things have been attributed to the German Illuminati. One of their first supposed accomplishments mobilized the people of France in 1789 to overthrow the monarchy, extricate French government from religious interference, and launch an allegedly international revolution.
1: In 1797, the revolution that raged through French cities, towns, and villages, seizing the property of the nobility, executing clergy and kings, and dismantling the whole social order was spreading. Under the military leadership of Napoleon Bonaparte, the French army was taking its new world order to Italy and Germany, with sights set on Spain, Britain, and the Mediterranean. In the wake of all
0: this upheaval... Um, from the Women's March of 1789 to the Great Terror of 1793 to 94, to the rise of Napoleon and the French Revolution Wars across the continent, certain counter-revolutionary intellectuals surveyed the ruins of their beloved old regime and tried to come to terms with what had happened. Um, John Robeson and Augustine Barel, staunch believers in monarchical rule, put forth a conspiracy theory that attributed the entire revolution to the Illuminati. Augustine Burrell, a Jesuit writer, attributed the earthquake that was the revolution to a conspiracy of a few evil people. Burrell argued that the revolution was the result of a plot carried out by philosophes and Illuminati infiltrated Freemasons. Together, those two groups, philosophes and Illuminated infiltrated um, Freemasons, gave birth to Jacobinism and thence the re- revolution. This analysis allowed Burrell to avoid thinking critically about monarchical rule, social hierarchies, oppression, etc., the things that he'd benefited from in his life under the old order. It would have been much harder to admit that deep changes in society and in politics led to the collapse of the old regime. A deep causes theory would be downright depressing for men like Burrell, as
1: they would imply a difficulty of restoring. The old regime. The Scottish writer John Robeson took matters a step further. Writing at the same time as Burrell, more or less, Robeson argued that far from being powerful plotters, Freemasons themselves were mere pawns, unwittingly under the influence of the Bavarian Illuminati. The implication of Robeson's theory was that if you could get the plotters, the Illuminati, out of the picture, you might be able to have a thorough restoration of the monarchy later.
0: Historian Michael Taylor notes that while these tall tales were debunked numerous times over the decades since, the idea in 1797 was quite popular. Both books sold out of their first printing, and the English translation of Burrell's um, notably four-volume manuscript was reprinted three times in one year, Robeson's four times. The robeson borel Illuminati theory was regurgitated in preachers' sermons, in newspapers and pamphlets distributed throughout England and America's cities and towns, um, works of reference, tracts, and even novels. Particularly between 1797 and 1802, it was the conspiracy of the day. A simple way for conservative politicians to write off the revolution, to ignore the very real consequences of prolonged disenfranchisement, persecution, suffering, and the oppression of the masses. If the French Revolution was merely the work of a small group of radical master manipulators and not the will of the people, it could be ignored.
1: But Robeson and Burrell's conspiracy theory gained traction because, as Taylor argues... They played up two key fears that British conservatives had in the 18th century. First, that the Illuminati had big plans to politically empower women. (laughs) According to some Illuminati doctrine seized by the Bavarian government that uncovered a plot to educate, give votes to and sexually liberate, liberate young women. Like, oh, my God, the horror, right? And second, the universal mission of the French Revolution, most frightening to conservatives when it came from within the House, as it were. They weren't so much worried about the revolutionaries forcing their new world order through conquest. The English were pretty confident that they were the best military in the world because empire, you know. But what could they do to stop an unknown internal threat? What if revolution was catching like the plague? So Robeson and Burrell published this conspiracy theory, a global conspiracy theory of anti-monarchical, anti-clerical revolutionaries. And then the United Irishmen did indeed attempt to launch a revolution from within the House. And yeah, that made the conspiracy theory make a lot of sense to a lot of people. The Illuminati, man, they're everywhere. (laughs) Of women, Burrell wrote that,
0: quote, Freemasonry has its female adepts and the Illuminates wish to have theirs. The plan is written in Xavier von Zwack's own handwriting. Zwack was the order's second in command to uh, Weishaupt. And he was the most intimate friend and confidant of Weishaupt, in short, his incomparable man. When the Bavarian government shut down the Illuminati and drove Weishaupt out of the country, they seized the Order's papers and published them. These are the grounds upon which Burrell and Robeson wove their narrative of a global conspiracy. Um, Now, while there's no actual evidence of the Illuminati going underground having connections to France, or even having more than the 685 to 3,000 members at their height, the con- content of their thinking was so alarming to conservative, counter-revolutionary, anti-Masonic individuals like Burrell and Robeson that it was enough to convince them that the Illuminati must be behind the French Revolution. Burrell included excerpts from the aforementioned letter written by Zwack, who um, is also known in the order as Hercules. That was his secret name. hmm A plan for an order of women. This order shall be subdivided into two classes. The first shall be composed of virtuous women. The second of the wild, the giddy, the voluptuous. (laughs) Both classes are to be ignorant that they are under the direction of men. The brethren who are entrusted with this superintendence shall forward their instructions without making themselves known. They shall conduct the first by promoting the reading of good books, but shall form the latter to the arts of secretly gratifying their passions and this association might moreover serve to gratify those brethren who had a turn for sensual pleasure
1: ew yeah (laughs) i know
0: a list according to of 85 young ladies accompanied this project proposed by zwack including zwack's own four daughters and wife
1: oh god Robeson, also working from the Order of the Illuminati's letters and papers, quotes from a letter between Minos to Sebastian in 1782. Now, you know, just keep in mind, all of these members got fake names because, you know, secret society. So this is the, the quote. The proposal of Hercules to establish a Minerval school for girls is excellent, but requires much circumspection. Philo and I have long conversed on this subject. We cannot improve the world without improving women, who have such a mighty influence on the men. But how shall we get hold of them? How will their relations, particularly their mothers, immersed in prejudices, consent that others shall influence their education? We must begin with grown girls. We must always be at hand to prevent the introduction of any improper question. We must prepare themes for their discussion. Thus, we shall confess them and inspire them with our sentiments. No man, however, must come near them. This will fire their roving fancies, and we may expect rare mysteries. But I am doubtful whether this association will be durable. Women are fickle and impatient.
0: Robeson goes on to say that, quote, nothing in the whole constitution of the Illuminati that strikes me with more horror than the proposals of Hercules and Minos to enlist the women in the shocking warfare, with all that is good and pure and lovely and of good report. He implores his good countrywomen, reading his tract, to do whatever is necessary to reject the influences of the dangerous Illuminati. Very helpfully, he remarks, there is no deficiency in the female mind, either in talents or in dispositions, nor can we say with certainty that there is any subject of intellectual or moral discussion in which women have not excelled. If the delicacy of their constitution and other physical causes allow the female sex a smaller share of some mental powers, they possess others in a superior degree, which are no less respectable in their own nature than, And of great importance to society.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Robeson, it appears, did not listen very closely to his countrywoman, Mary Wollstonecraft, who most certainly would have punched him in the face. You know, intellectually, of course. of course. Had she heard him suggest that the fair sex might be limited by delicacy of constitution or physical causes to have a smaller share of mental power. Indeed. In the second
0: half of the 18th century, the British women increasingly imagined themselves as political subjects. And so too did French women, as in the example of Olympe de Gouges, a political activist and playwright ultimately executed during the reign of terror, who wrote the 1791 tract De Declaration of the Rights of Women and the Female Citizen. According to Michael Taylor, historian, there was furious patriarchal reaction against nascent feminist ideas. Female debating societies blossomed but disappeared, and aristocratic women who had previously exercised considerable influence withdrew from the political front lines. Burrell and Robeson spoke to the conservatives who'd been deeply committed to shutting down female participation in the political sphere for the better part of the century, and those conservatives listened. The Society of United Irishmen, which initially sought parliamentary reform but then took inspiration from the American and French revolutions and rose up against the British crown in 1798, seemed to confirm Burrell and Robeson as more than just philosophers. They were prophets.
1: So Burrell and Robeson's claim that the Illuminati went underground in 1784 rather than disbanding and that they infected the French so effectively so as to launch a revolution and that the revolution would spread if those arbiters of incendiary ideas were not hunted down and destroyed, that was eaten up. Priests, newspaper editors, publishers, politicians, and regular people seized on that conspiracy and called for justice for the end of the Illuminati. But there was the problem. It was a global secret society now, at least, you know, according to Burrell and Robeson. And one didn't simply discover such a clever and insidious cabal. So instead, they were a boogeyman to justify censorship, to validate persecution and to support the conservative agenda propping up monarchism and obstructing social justice endeavors. And since the feminists of the 18th century were conveniently aligned with this all-powerful Illuminati, it was a great opportunity to also shore up the patriarchy. The
0: Illuminati have, of course, been folded into our lexicon of pop culture conspiracy theory icons. In addition to playing a prominent role in the Langdon books, the Illuminati and Illuminati symbology were very popular in Gothic literature right after this French Revolution period. Um, Several Mary Shelley scholars suggest that Frankenstein's monster, which was created in Ingolstadt, just like the Bavarian Illuminati, is an allegory for the order. The Illuminati are in war and peace, have a vampire fiction series written by Michael Romkey, a science fiction trilogy from the 1970s beloved by the hacker community, and more recently, Marvel has launched the New Avengers Illuminati and, quote, "...elite group of the planet's most powerful guardians who meet whenever the Earth faces its greatest threats, including aliens." Though the back cover claims that nobody knows who they are, and that's the way they want it. The front cover shows Iron Man, Professor Xavier, Mr. Fantastic, and Doctor Strange, among others. Uh, So, not too secret, I guess. Um, And who could forget the Illuminati's role in Laura Croft, Tomb Raider the film, starring the timeless Angelina Jolie. The
1: Illuminati star in tons of games, card
0: and video, etc.
1: Certainly right now, we are inundated by conspiracy theories inspired uh, by and coming out of the current presidential administration. The liberal media is after me. Hillary's emails. Ted Cruz's father uh, was part of the JFK assassination. Voter fraud in states with you just happened to have majority black populations, vaccines, cause autism. You know, all of which are complete and utter bullshit uh, but are easy ways for the current administration to cause confusion and disorder, to undermine social justice initiatives, and, of course, to shore up the patriarchy. Last year, CNN put out a running list of conspiracy theories that Trump propagates and will link it to the transcript. Robeson and Burrell at least went to the effort of building their theory on the Illuminati papers, on on actual sort of evidence. Yeah.
0: But conspiracy theories are also not the sole domain of those in power. We don't have time today to get into the role of conspiracy theories in black communities in America, but I'd re- be remiss if I didn't at least send you to Patricia Turner's I Heard It Through the Grapevine Rumor in African American Culture to at least get started. The Illuminati conspiracy is a part of hip-hop culture for both black and white listeners. Um, The Illuminati are credited with the success of hip-hop, and artists like Jay-Z and Nas and Public Enemy and Kanye West have variously encouraged that theory. Many believe that the artists like Tupac and Biggie Smalls were murdered by Illuminati for one reason or another. And And these are powerful stories. They're glamorous, exciting, scary, but often less frightening than thinking that we as regular people could have done something to change the outcome. Uh, easier, too, I think, to believe a secret society is out to get to you rather than the institutional, systemic and bold faced racism and oppression our neighbors
1: and countrymen and
0: women protect.
1: For today, though, we want to close with a message that Dan Brown hopefully intentionally delivered in Angels and Demons. The imaginary Illuminati and all conspiracy theories shilled by those with power are smoke and mirrors, misinformation intended to keep the rest of us chasing an invisible foe. In truth, the person most responsible for the antimatter bomb in the book is the creepy priest played by Obi-Wan Kenobi, who can't stand the thought of the Catholic Church changing along with the times. Or it's the king who wants to hold on to his crown, the billionaire invested in keeping the economic system benefiting the super rich, the politician who can build their platform on xenophobic, racist, misogynist, conspiracy theory rhetoric. The end. <laughs> I, I just wanted to add this. I, I mentioned earlier that um Robeson and Burrell at least... Based their theory on Illuminati papers. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that there are some really disturbing ways that that still happens where you true, have true. like a, you have like a database mm-hmm. and you manipulate it yeah. and interpret it in knowingly um, bad faith ways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the obvious, the very obvious example of this is the pizza gate. Right. Conspiracy, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which is all based on the leaked emails mm-hmm. of um, John Podesta. Yep. Right. So they take like things like John Podesta emailed some recipe and people were like, oh, it's a secret code for blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So obviously very, very bad faith, but still having this like source material. Right. Which makes it almost more insidious because they can always say like, well, I got it from this
0: yeah, source. From source from I that.
1: didn't just come out of my head like. Yeah.
0: It's from them, right? Right. From the people we're accusing of doing these things. Right. So the same thing is happening with these Illuminati papers, which, yeah, they're talking about their letters back and forth. We should start a women's side of this thing. right? And how are we going to do that? Women are kind of stupid. And, oh, but maybe women are not so stupid. We could probably pull this off. Right. But then they turn this on. It's like the British conservatives are like, oh, my God.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Our own women are thinking these thoughts. Mm Mm-hmm. What if they? What if they're part of the Illuminati? Right. Or what if the Illuminati are going to tap into them right. and like usurp us?
1: And it hits right at this moment when there are women who are, like Mary Wollstonecraft mm-hmm. and uh, Olympe de Gouges, right? Yep, who are writing actual kind of manifestations of what they're so afraid of and they then they read this stuff about the Illuminati and they're like, "Oh my god, it's real. It's all connected." Yeah, it's all connected. Yeah. And also that's part part of it to me is also like, well, women couldn't come up with this shit on their own.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's so much misogyny mm-hmm. built into this bullshit. Um it's crazy. So There was another way that I thought about opening and closing this that Mm -hmm. wasn't Dan Brown because in the 1960s, um, these two newspaper editors decided that they were like really fed up with people being cattle and sheep and just like accepting the world. So they invented uh, or they like brought the Illuminati back to life by printing in their paper. Like, all of these stories, like, they would write in anonymous and fake name stories that were, like, also conflicting about how the Illuminati were orchestrating all these things and, like, the JFK assassination and shit like that. Um, And so then that was supposed to be a trigger for people to be like, well, these are conflicting. Maybe I should look into this myself and, like, figure out the truth. But instead, people were just like, oh, my God, did you read this thing? It's true. JFK was killed by the Illuminati or it was an inside job or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Right. So... And that—that's also they also invented Discordia, the faux religion um, that was supposed to go out and just cause chaos. And they okay. had like a manifesto for Discordia, and then people started actually becoming discordant followers. So I thought about that intro, but I like the uh, the Dan Brown better a little bit because yeah. I think it ties back into
1: yeah. No, the the Dan Brown is ki- is kind of perfect because. He's pointing out that, like, it's not the Illuminati. It's not the Illuminati. Ultimately.
0: And right? even, I mean, even the backwards priest. Right. Who is, like, so obsessed with these this old Catholicism. Right. In a lot of ways, that's not even just the priest, right? That's what he was inculcated to right. believe. He is a product of the system, right? Mm-hmm. So even that... Because, you know, there's there's a little bit of danger of saying, well, it's also this one guy who's in charge, who's doing right. all, orchestrating yeah, he's all just so He's
1: a uh, uh, what's the word? Like a lone wolf. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Which is and also problematic. That's super problematic. And yeah. that's a ma- that's a major thing that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when when I wonder if it's useful to think about conspiracy theory and these kind of overarching connections of power and influence and control. In thinking about how we think about lone wolf shooters today, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if a brown guy uh, who happens to be Arab commits some any kind of act of atrocity, we immediately connect it to to terrorism, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But when a white guy, even when he is literally connected to these like incel communities, for instance, or right, or KKK, or to the or white supremacist organizations, yeah, right? Absolutely. I'm thinking of the incels because that yeah. that's something that um, is. Still seems to like baffle people. Mm-hmm. Um It's it's their lone wolf, right? Like they did, they were they were totally uninfluenced by anyone else. It was just their brain. Something in it went wrong, and yeah. they shot people up. And there's no bigger systemic or institutional thing. It certainly has nothing ever to do with the president of the United States and his administration yeah. who shills this stuff, as right. you said, absolutely. You know. Certainly we live, I think, in a period where we're at a particular peak of conspiracy mindedness. But I was listening to something recently and I can't remember what it was. I think it was an interview with someone who had just written a book about conspiracy theories and why we're living in a moment of conspiracy theory. Yeah. And they were like, it's really important to remember that the con- the people who believe in conspiracy theories are like not,
0: they're not wackadoodles. Crazy. No, they're... Because if
1: you really drill down... We all have one conspiracy yeah, theory that we sure. believe in.
0: I believe in the Av- uh, Avril Lavigne one. What's the Avril Lavigne one? That Avril Lavigne is dead and that she has been replaced by her body double. Because she really has a body double. She hired her in the early 2000s, I believe it is, because she didn't like going out in public. And this girl mostly looks like her, but has like a different nose and is just not Avril Lavigne. Oh my god. And her entire musical sound has changed in like the last 5 years. She looks, she's like dresses in bubblegum outfits and she is not <laughs> Avril Lavigne anymore. I'm just saying. Uh, and it's all a Canadian government cover up cuz they, you know, they don't want to admit that
1: one of their three I, stars is Why would is the dead. Canadian government doing?
0: <laughs> oh yeah. All my good
1: stuff. my conspiracy probably shouldn't end up I probably shouldn't say it recording. It's true. I I think that the United States government shot down United Flight 93. I don't think it went down. I think by the time that one went down, I think that the U.S. actually played a role in it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, one of the planes during 9-11? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. yeah. Oh, I re- I've course. always thought that. <laughs> Since it went, and and then you know it's funny. James and I were talking about it one day, and he was like, "Oh yeah, the, the government definitely shot that plane down." I was like, "Oh my god, we both <laughs> believe that."
0: Everybody's a little bit crazy. Yeah,
1: but I mean, and it's ludicrous, probably, right? Right. But it goes to show yeah. that everybody has some sort of conspiracy that makes sense to them. Share with us your favorite conspiracy conspiracy theories, theories yeah. please, in our Pod Squad Facebook group or on Twitter. We would yeah. love to hear which ones you believe in, or which ones make you the most angry.
0: And don't feel shame if you believe them, because Sarah believes that the U.S. government <laughs> shot down United 93. And No, this is going to follow me forever now. Rejects I, like, all of the, like... <laughs> The heroism
1: of the people on that plane. You're so I cold-hearted. It's, I know.
0: I believe in the people, Sarah. Well, you
1: believe Avril Levine is dead. See, I can't even say Avril anymore. Good. I'm so well trained. She's a name stealer. Yeah. I'm Avril Earls.
0: She's Avril Levine, but she's not. She's the body double. <laughs> so thanks for listening, as always, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.
1: Oh, bye. <laughs> Sorry.
0: This podcast was produced by the historians of Dig, Elizabeth Garner Maserick, Sarah Hanley Cousins,
1: Marissa Rhodes, and me, Averill Earls. Thanks for listening. Including Les Illumin I hate you so much. Including Les Illumin de Bevere et La Franc McConary. Jesuits These were a Yeah. Jesuits
0: were Jesuits were an a- I l- 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 Including, for example, the French King Louis XVI's brother. Um, oh, that was supposed to be our explanation. But.
1: With an ambigram of Illuminati. Of the Illuminati? No. no. Just, What's an ambigram? It'll explain. Okay. Jesuits served... Served as. Jesuits These were a... Yeah. Novice. Minerval. Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry. Long sentence. The run-on you? sentences in this are- It's more natural.
1: It's natural. He and Nig would get into terrible fights, including Oh
0: f that's where it was. Just say particularly over. Just Okay.
1: The European Organization for (laughs) Nurcul (laughs) Nurcular Ooh.